Jesus told this story to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men stood praying in the temple. One was a member of the Jewish sect called the Pharisees, who, and this is a little bit colored by our reading of the Bible today, by the fact that uh, we now read scripture and see that the Pharisees opposed Jesus, and we forget that at the time they would have been seen as the good guys. These were the nonviolent opposition to Rome. There were the champions of the poor. They were the faithful. They were those who insisted that religious practice wasn't just for the elite, that it was for everyone. But the Pharisee got as close as he could to the altar and prayed, God, I thank you that I am so much more faithful than other people. Scripture tells us to fast twice, to fast once a week, and I fast twice. I give twice as much to the temple as I'm required to, and I thank you that I'm not as bad as the people I see around me. The tax collector stood at the back and said simply, I know I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Jesus said that only the tax collector will walk away justified. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. As modern readers, we hear this story and we think, got it, good to be humble, bad to be arrogant, move on. But because we're so far from the original context of the story, we miss how offensive this would have been to Jesus' first hearers. The Pharisee would have been the good guy. And the tax collector would have been an unambiguously bad person. In these days, we think of tax collectors as being fairly benign. We don't look forward to interactions with the IRS, but we just assume that the people there are doing their jobs. The tax collectors in Jesus' day were different. The tax collector had a contract that they bought with the Roman occupying army to collect a certain amount of money. Anything they collected over and above that amount was theirs to keep. So their job was basically to extort money from a population of subsistence farmers in order to give it to the oppressors. They were so corrupt and so violent that they were considered ritually impure. The Talmud said that if a tax collector entered your house, your entire house was then considered unclean and had to be purified. When I try to think of a modern parallel, I remember living in Durham, North Carolina, and working at a homeless shelter where I had an office window where I could look out and see across the street to a corner store where a drug dealer worked all day. And I could watch him all day, seeing people hand over money to him that I knew they needed for food for their children. And then I'd see him around town, see him at the grocery store or at the movies, and I would just feel this wave of revulsion and fury at this person who lived his life at the expense of others, whose entire livelihood depended on the suffering of other people. And maybe that is how people at Jesus' time would have felt about the tax collector, that this is someone who chooses to make their living on the pain of the people around them. And yet Jesus says that the drug dealer, not the faithful religious person, is the one who goes away right with God. It's offensive. It's disturbing. It should, it should count for something that one of these people has been faithful his entire life, 
and the other has chosen a way of life that requires him to hurt others. That should count for something, shouldn't it? Why does the tax collector get God's approval? This is what St. Paul calls the scandal of the gospel. It's scandalous because in our heart of hearts, most of us think that God's love and approval are the rewards we get for being good enough. But that's not how it works. That's what makes unconditional love so rare. The love of God isn't for those who manage to earn it by following the rules. God's love isn't for the good people. It's not for the ones that are responsible and nice and believe all the right things. The grace and love of God are for anyone who admits that they need them. That's the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector, essentially. The Pharisee thinks he deserves God's love, and the tax collector knows that he doesn't. And so he sees God's love not as something he's earned, but as a free gift. That's why the text says that the tax collector goes home justified, because his humility allowed him to receive mercy and love as a gift. The parable sort of sets up two different ways of living. We can live like the Pharisee, careful always to do the right thing, to color within the lines. Motivated by love, of course, but with a sort of edge of anxiety. Afraid that if we mess up, we'll lose God's approval. Living like a Pharisee also means that we have to make sure that we separate ourselves from those who are sinning. The Pharisee says, thank you, God, I am not like the tax collector. But the worst part of being a Pharisee is that it means having to be constantly vigilant to make sure we get what we deserve for being so good. That seems to be what the Pharisee is doing in his prayer, right? He's reminding God of how good he's been so that he can make sure that he receives his reward. And that's a way that we can go through life, convinced that our blessings are deserved. Of course, it requires judging others, being on the lookout for people who are getting things they don't deserve, making sure that we get what we've earned. But that's an exhausting way to live. And there's another way. We can live like the tax collector, The tax collector's way is what we could call the way of humility, which really means just seeing yourself clearly. He knows he's made mistakes. He knows he's made serious mistakes, but he's not perfect. And so he doesn't have the Pharisee's anxious goodness. He doesn't have the Pharisee's fear of being wrong. He doesn't feel the need to separate himself from others to say that he's better than anyone else. He knows he's not. He knows that, like all of us, he needs God. And because he sees himself clearly, because he has humility, he's able to receive God's love with gratitude rather than a sense of entitlement. He sees God's love as a gift, not something he deserves. We all have a choice. We can go through life like the Pharisee, thinking we deserve everything that we've gotten, And of course, there are things that we do deserve. Everyone deserves to be loved. Everyone deserves to be treated well. But you can drive yourself crazy constantly making that calculus, 
making sure that we get what we deserve, making sure that we don't make mistakes so that we lose love and respect from others. Because that leads to frustration about things that we think we've deserved, that we haven't received. We look with resentment at someone who has a better job than we do or whose children are more obedient or something. And we feel like we have to anxiously try to be perfect to earn God's love. But there's another choice. We can let go of the idea of deserving things. And we can treat every good thing in our lives like a free gift that we didn't earn. Something for which we should be thankful We can see each good thing in our life as a sign not that we're good, but that we're loved. We can let go of the idea that there's someone out there that has it better than us, or someone out there who has it worse than us, and just rest in gratitude for all the gifts that we've received. That's the way of true joy and freedom, the way of humility, of seeing ourselves clearly and seeing the love that we receive from God as a free gift. One final and possibly inappropriate political thought. When it comes to politics, we Christians have mostly been on the side of the Pharisees. We've been really anxious to appear perfect. We've been very eager to tell everyone how good we are. We've been quick to condemn others. As Jesus warned, we have trusted in ourselves that we are righteous. We've displayed a tragic lack of humility. My sincere hope, now probably my only hope, as far as what comes out of this long, long depressing election season, is a commitment by Christians to walk the way of humility. To acknowledge that in the end, we're not better or worse than anyone else and that we all stand in need of God's mercy and love.